0: Thanks for listening to Bad Notes. This episode's mixtape guest halfway through the show is Primitivity with their song Sacrifice. Be sure to support them at Primitivity.com. And remember to keep listening after the second half of this episode to hear a message from our mysterious sponsor, Orb Industries.
1: In 1996, after nearly two decades spent touring the American Midwest with his heavy metal band star cult guitar hero Orrin Moon disappeared without a trace. Despite dozens of distraught fans, the music industry barely noticed his absence, while law enforcement assumed Moon had simply fled the country or joined a religious commune. For nearly two more decades, the true story went untold. Then, in early 2016, a music journalist for National Independent Radio received an unmarked package that contained over 200 dated microcassettes with a handwritten letter that read, This is the story of Orin Moon. He was an amazing musician, a loving father, and the best demon slayer the world never knew.
0: Had notes created by L. David Hessler. Part 11. I don't know what Mel heard on Pony's tape in that bus. Probably never will. But whatever it was, it. it changed her. She sat at the Crescent table with Pony's orange headphones clutching her neck like a doctor's stethoscope. The dim overhead light made her look like a character in some kind of postmodern Norman Rockwell painting all blues and blacks and full of disappointment or frustration or rage. We left him, she said, without looking at me. It didn't even sound like a question, like she was just processing what I had told her about Alonzo. I tried to tell her what he had said to me. It sounded like lunatic bullshit coming out of my mouth, but it was all I could do. She was quiet for several minutes again. We just listened to the bus scream through the night with Pony at the steering wheel. The broken window above the crescent table spewed great drafts of chilled night air into the bus. The gusts whipped past us and tossed Pony's long white hair in all directions. You won't tell me where we're going, I said, gesturing at Pony. I tried to keep my voice low so he wouldn't hear me. I trust him, Mel said. He was my dad's friend. Pony's head turned slightly, and I realized he could hear everything. He's not dead, Mel asked him, finally standing and carefully moving to the front of the bus so she could sit closer to Pony. Alonzo, I mean. We didn't just leave him to die back there, right? Pony sighed and then shrugged. Then, in his tongueless speech, he said, I hope not. My dad's not dead, she said. Again, it wasn't a question, just a statement to nobody in particular. My dad's not dead, so Alonzo isn't dead. Pony nodded, slow and uneven. Mel gazed past his shoulder and out the windshield. There was no horizon out there, no discerning ground from sky beyond the safe haze of headlights before us. There was just a road that disappeared into the vague and relentless black mystery of Iowa. This is about the tape, she said to Pony. The one my dad found on my birthday. Right? He nodded again. Why, I asked. All this for some kind of a cassette? Weapon, Pony said. Then with more difficulty. A curse. Mel leaned back and put her forehead against one of the windows. She closed her eyes and sneered. It slowly transformed into a smile, like the kind of smile a dog might have when it's nervous and thinks someone is trying to take its food. Ain't the tape that's cursed, she sighed. It's my goddamn family. Somehow I fell asleep on the bus. I was always that kid in elementary school who fell asleep on field trips. Ten minutes into the drive and I'd be dead asleep, drooling all over my damn chest or groaning some incomprehensible dream state monologue while my classmates made fun of me. One time, a kid shoved a stick of gum into my mouth while I was snoring and I actually started chewing that shit. This time was different, though. This wasn't just a nap. wasn't just a dream. I think... I think I inhaled too much of the smoke while Alonzo and I burned that demon finger on the roadside grill. Look, I I, I don't know. I, I think I saw the far whatever that is man, but I think I saw it in my dream. It was brief. I woke up in this place, it it looked like Iowa, except it was Iowa from hell, capital I, capital F, capital H. The ground was covered in short black stalks that tried to grab me like minuscule fingers. The air was filled with some kind of floating particle, like there might've been an enormous fire raging somewhere nearby, and it was just spewing ash into the sky. When I finally got to my feet, I noticed this behemoth figure, standing in the distance on the other side of a valley. Smoke or clouds or fog obscured the Titan, but I could still tell it was staring at me, watching me, waiting for me. And then it held its hands out to me, not threatening, but in a welcoming manner, like it was eager to meet me and in an embrace that would surely have crushed my body. Still, I I moved forward. I reached out for it. Mel's voice tore me from the dream. You have to see this, she said, pointing at the front of the bus. I wanted to tell her the same thing about my nightmare, but decided it could wait. We weren't on the highway anymore. Pony had taken the bus onto a gravel back road, and we were pulling into what looked like the remnants of a festival gone terribly awry. We passed a hand-painted sign that read, Ruddy Heights Park and Campgrounds. Pony navigated a narrow road that was littered with trash and clothing. Tents, motorcycles, and pop-up campers lined either side of the trail. Dozens of men and women in leather jackets and jeans wandered the area carrying beverages and and weapons. Swords. Clubs. Axes. It was like we'd traveled through a time warp and ended up in some kind of post-apocalyptic Midwest overrun by bikers. But then we heard the music. It was muffled at first, but even those faint few notes were familiar. We rounded a sharp corner, narrowly avoiding a man who was pissing beside a yield sign, and then pony pumped the brakes. We sat in a parking lot adjacent to a medium-sized amphitheater, packed with a cheering audience. Holy shit, Mel whispered, pressing her face against the window. The music was loud and clear and so familiar that it immediately reminded me of sitting at the top of Grass Hill the night of Orin Moon's fake funeral. Pony opened the bus door and gestured for us to follow. The music poured in and made my chest rattle, made it hard to hear what he said next. Let's go, he said, his speech barely audible over the blaring music, and he smiled. It's time you met Wicked Ginny. Thank you so much for listening to Bad Notes, written and produced by me, L. David Hessler. If you like this story, you can get more of my books and some of my own original music at ldavidhessler.com. You can also help support the podcast by visiting patreon.com slash ldavidhessler or by leaving an honest review on iTunes. This episode's mixtape guest is Primitivity find their work at Primitivity.com Are you trying to fill your free time with even more awesome podcasts? Then go listen to my inner middle school students squeeze with delight as I make original superheroes on the fly with Adam Martins on the B-Mega podcast at MegatonCityNews.com And now... The Ministry of Dark Logic at Orb Industries has given me a sheet of informational text that they would like me to read on their behalf. The FAR exists because magic is real. Magic is real because the universe is a complicated paradox. The most complicated paradox is the human mind. Therefore, your mind is, in and of itself, a universe of magic. And the far is inside us all. Orb Industries, magic suits you. The Bad Notes title music is produced by Ethan Mikesell. Find more of his work at EthanMikesell.com. All sound effects and additional background music are used through a Creative Commons Zero public domain license.